You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 88 of the Team Stripes Podcast, proudly presented by Acme Whistles, the helping you make the big call since 1870. The legendary Acme Thunderer is now available in matte black. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ross. Ross, how are you today? Dude, I'm doing pretty good. I uh, had a skate this afternoon with um, our local junior team and uh, some Division One NCAA hockey players today. So we got a, a bunch of uh, D1 kids in town that are training with um, the owner of the junior team. He was the one of the assistant coaches with the 2018 women's gold medal team. Okay. So he's running a little development camp with uh, a bunch of Division One players that uh, that didn't play. I apologize for the howling dog in the in the background. Um, my my coonhound archer is deciding to be vocal. That's fine. Um, so yeah, so I skated with them. They they basically mixed up the uh, the D one guys. I think there were about ten or twelve of them, uh, and so they took six and six and then split up the premier team. And uh, it was actually a really competitive hockey game. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It ended up being 11 to 10 for the two halves. Obviously no one's playing defense. There wasn't much no. hitting. I'm, and I'm just out there dropping pucks. So I was, I was enjoying the, uh, the skate. And then we played overtime and it's funny. We played two 25 minute halves and had 21 goals. And then we played like, 16 minutes OT before somebody finally scored. <laughs> Everybody was like, oh, we better play. And I was, now. well, I was pissed. I, I, it was funny. I told one of the coaches, I'm just like, hey, uh, if this goes longer than six minutes, I'm kicking one in, just so you know, because <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> did you kick one in? Uh, I did not. It was a beauty one timer. It was a cross body one timer, too. Ooh. It came in, the guy was a right-handed shot, and it came from his left across his body, and then he one-timed it. It was sick. Very nice. And one of the D1 kids, obviously. Of course. So, and he went uh, he went bar down. It was it was pretty nasty. I was like, nice. So, yeah, that was fun. Other than that, uh, upgraded my computer monitor today, dropped off my skates to get new holders installed on them. Um because in, in the uh, the world of the Bauer trigger on the blade holder, the uh, the set screw and that has the spring on it love to break. So, so speaking of that, I've been told to get the the Bauer trigger ones because I have the CCM ones that like have the little dial. Yeah, and also in, garbage. Oh, dude! In in two years, I'm on. Uh, pair number three of holders oh wow because yeah, like see, they, well, they just i've break. had these skates for three years now I that's think. not bad though um and they were the top the not i never buy the top of the line i always buy the next one down um i don't know what model they are off the top of my head but they're you know the 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 new bauer scheme of like that goldish yellow color yeah. and black um haven't had any oh, issues the Supremes then probably uh they're like some matrix or something yeah. i don't i don't remember it's been a while um all i know is the boot is perfect 
and um obviously i don't want to buy a new pair of skates so no, nobody for does. 80 bucks put some new holders on it though the holders will last me another three four years and it's funny because i've only taken the blades out of the the holders that came with the skates only a couple of times and um i took them out two weekends ago to put i got the new ls titanium steel oh yeah i was like screw it i'm gonna spend some monies let me tell you for any of the anyone out there that haven't hasn't skated on these ls titaniums wow are they really got that good though yeah i mean they look i i noticed a difference the first couple of strides i took they are so smooth like um they're definitely worth 160 bucks not getting paid to plug Bauer or anything. We wish we let, were. I wish. Yes, we definitely do. But um, yeah, I, man, I, I love them. So when I put those in, that's when the damn thing broke. So I've been skating with a piece of tape over the part of the blade that goes in where the trigger is. Yep. And anytime I've taken them out, because I'm trying to take good care of these. So after I skate, I pop the blade out, wipe them down and put them back in. And um, so anytime I pop it out, I have to like hammer it on the rubber <laughs> or I'll stand on it and start stomping my foot down uh, just to get it to lock into place. But yeah, I was just say that was always my issue with the CCM ones. Like they would have a click to them. You'd throw some yeah. tape in there, but it was yep. the only saving grace is the warranties a year long on the CCM holders. Uh-huh. And I switch them out every six months. Oh, there you go. So it, it's it's under warranty, thankfully. But well, what's cool today is so so we have a, a hockey shop here. It's called Rinkside Sports. Um, they're in three of our rinks. They're in our rink in Brandon, which is the practice facility for the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're in the rink in Lakeland, which is a well, is about a year and a half old. It's a bowling alley that got converted into an ice rink. That's sick. It is. They did a really good job on it. It's absolutely beautiful. The only thing I wish they would have did is put in a concrete based rink and not a sand based. That's the one thing they messed up. Fair. Um, Short term, it's cheaper to do the sand than it is to pour. But long term, it's going to end up costing them more money um, because the ice just has gone to crap. Uh, but other than that, beautiful building. They um, all the old bowling alley stuff, so all the wood they actually repurposed. And I'll I'll send you some pictures next time I'm there. It's it's pretty nice looking. I was gonna say that place sounds sick. Um, and then we have uh at what is it Advent Hospital Center Ice it just changed names. It's a four sheet facility. We have one Olympic size, three NHL size. The rink that I skied on almost all the time for the juniors is the arena rink or the feature rink, as they call it. It's got about 500 seats on one side. It's it's awesome. Um, I definitely am very spoiled to get to skate there. Um, anywho, so ringside sports are in these three put these these three rinks, and I've been a customer of theirs since before the rink in Brandon was built in 1998. Um, a kid I grew up playing hockey with, his mom and dad opened the shop and they were in downtown Tampa right across the street from where the lightning play. And they actually had an outdoor roller rink out there. This was 
oh man, 96, 97. And I've been a customer of ringside sports ever since. I do not like when it comes to equipment. I mean, obviously referee stuff's a little more, a little more niche. Um, so now we have hockey ref shop who we're using to go through to buy all our gear. But as far as like equipment goes, so like my skates, um, helmets, when I've had to buy them, um, any player stuff, I've been spending money with them for a very long time. So when they pull up my account, it's kind of funny. They're like, you have a very, like my account is a very low number. And I'm like, yeah, I've been a customer for like 25 years. You're like zero, 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 two. Yeah, pretty much. So, but the, the funny, so I get the, I go to get the holders and uh, I pay, I'm like, okay, they, they, you know, they're like, Hey, it's going to be this much. And then the guy goes, Oh wait, Hey, uh, are we charging RJ for, um, cause they all know me as RJ. That's what I went by going up, growing up. Uh, hey, are we charging RJ to put the blades on or the holders on? And one of the managers like, no. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last time I paid to get my skates sharpened or any kind of like stuff like that in there, just because I've been a customer for, you know, hundred years. Yeah. I, I get lucky with the shop here. I mean, like it's just a pure hockey, well, but I go so often that like, yeah. And I, I, I don't know about how it works for you guys there in Dallas, but I know a lot of the places here, the pro shops that know you're a referee usually don't charge you to get your skates sharpened or they give you a little bit of a discount on things. They try to hook you up a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've always gotten, if I've had to pay, it's always been the military discount. Yeah. And I'm just like, because like, I mean, I think it's like seven bucks for skate sharpening and all of a sudden like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's $3. And I was like, uh, what? But yeah. Like, I mean, if you go in there enough and you're nice enough to the people, yeah, every exactly. once like i every probably like if i go in once a week every other time i have to pay the three dollars and i'm like okay like not mad about this so i i did get something in the mail today speaking of equipment oh what'd you get um i needed some new pants and i wanted to change direction i wanted to use something other than stevens because i as much as i love my stevens pants um I've, I've had two pairs of them in the, uh, so this is only, I've been refing. I'm going into this fall will be year 20. Okay. I had a pair of the original CCM PPA L's, which some people will remember. It wasn't the swishy material. It was the material that the Stevens are. So I had a pair of those, uh, for like two years or three years. Then I bought my first pair of Stevens. I had that pair of Stevens for 10 years. Um, this pair of Stevens that I just, uh, got done wearing, I got from TJ. Um, cause he was like, Hey, I got a bunch of gear, uh, come, you know, whatever I need to get rid of it. It's taking up space. So he gave me a whole bunch of stuff, visors, um, uh, a couple pair. He gave me a pair of Stevens, just some other random stuff. So I've been wearing those. And, um, so I'm six foot one. And for those of you who don't know, TJ is six foot a lot. He's like six, four, six, five. So like me wearing his pants is kind of funny because I never hemmed them. <laughs> oh, never, never. I didn't hem them. So I'm out there like around my ankle. It's bad. 
It looks but like your whatever. dad's pants. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I don't care. Like, whatever. Everything else, I look good. It's just the length of my pants. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. Everyone else is trying these, and they've said that they like them. I bought a pair of Reeks through them directly, and I'll tell you what. I like them. They're really nice. They remind... They're so much like the Stevens pant. It's kind of scary how similar they are. Um, I mean, there are differences, but I, I definitely really like them. Um, so there's there's a reek plug. And yeah. I also got uh, I also got some shin tights. I got their tall shin tights, which it says when you hit the drop down and hit tall, it says recommended for officials that are six foot one and taller. Okay. So if you're under six one, just get their standard size. If you're six one and up, get their talls. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed wearing them. Oh, and today for the scrimmage, I wore my team stripes sweater. Oh, so you looked good out there. Yeah, I did. I had brand new pants on. I, that was the first time I'd ever worn the team stripes linesman sweater. So I was I was just all merched out because I got yeah. the team stripes sticker on my helmet. I've been looking for new like ref pants because like i think i've had my stevens for probably like three or four years now and like okay they've held, held up pretty well i've had to take them to the tailor a bunch of times to like you know get, get holes patched yeah. and then everybody's like okay get reeks get reeks so probably sometime this summer i'll end up getting reeks um, uh the the my biggest thing is with the stevens has always been the waistband the top waistband the elastic yeah does. Oh so yeah, we'll see how it goes and on on the reeks. Now, I was told after the fact on my on the Stevens waistband that you're not supposed to stick them in the dryer, wash them and then hang them to dry. <laughs> so I've never washed my my pants because I'm scared they're gonna get caught in the dryer and rip. Oh, fair enough. Like, I yeah, I just Febreze them a lot, a lot of Febreze. Okay. But um, really quickly, I just want to talk about the interview for the Miracle on Ice that we did. Um, yes. It came out about a week late, I think is what I decided. It came out Monday, the Monday after what was. Yeah. Uh, Still technically a week. Yeah, it was pretty much a week. That interview, if you haven't listened to it, it's on our YouTube page. Go listen to it because it, it was sick. I mean, granted, like I grew up watching you know the miracle on ice the movie like the disney movie and the way that this interview was it was like i was watching the the movie and it was it was insane i mean we have 41 views in a day on it yeah there was 73 as of right now oh no way that's awesome yeah so like oh yeah there it is yeah but like definitely go and listen to it if you haven't and you listen to this podcast i mean it would, it's a short, like I think, twenty minute video, mm-hmm. but it is absolutely just. And we'll blew my uh, mind. we need to get the audio out there too for everybody. That's the uh, just the audio listeners. So yeah. we'll, we'll have that for you guys here soon. Yeah, I can easily um, do that. It was, I tell you, it was cool, and it was funny because while I'm sitting there talking to Mark, and I'm like trying, like. Every time he gets done talking, I'm waiting for Brendan to speak up and like ask a question. I, but I'm watching you on my screen and your jaws just like Yeah, like I 
it was it's one of those ones where it's like okay i have like 17 million questions but at the same time i don't and it was just like sitting like it was just so cool like i would i could have talked to him for yeah well hours and we're definitely gonna have him back yes we are definitely gonna have him back on when the season kind of winds down he's a reporter up in Montreal. So he's been kind of busy with the Habs lately. And of course we just happened to catch him on the day that Claude Julian got let go. And then I think I saw today. Yeah, here it is. Um, They made another move and they now have um, Sean Burke is their goalie coach in, uh, in Montreal. So it's just, Everything the happenings in Montreal between uh, the Laval Rocket, I th- right? They're the American League team. Yeah, the Rockets there. Um, and then, uh, which great job naming that team, by the way, after the Rocket, uh, Maurice Richard. But anyway, uh, so we're gonna have him back on to tell some awesome stories, and that might be he might be a guy that we have on m- multiple times because I'm sure he's got a. Few, oh, he's. So. I mean, like. He even talked about it a little bit. I think it was either before or during the interview. He was saying like he skated the Pee Wee tournament back in Montreal, and yeah, it was back when Lemieux played and guys like yeah. that. Could that, you imagine like being able to say, "Oh yeah, I refed Mario Lemieux when he was a Pee Wee." Yeah, like that would have been sick. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to having him on again. But yeah, if, um, if you haven't watched it, go and watch yes. it. I'll throw up the audio onto our SoundCloud page, which I believe it then filters out everywhere else. So I'll throw up just the audio if you don't want to look at Mia Ross's face for 20 minutes. I completely understand. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so since we were just got done talking about equipment, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and do our, our uh, Team Stripes official equipment supplier ad. Hockey Ref Shop is the official U.S. equipment supplier of Team Stripes. They carry a variety of referee products, including beginner packages, sweaters, pants, accessories, protective equipment, fun referee-themed products, and more. They pride themselves in having great customer service from experienced officials and super fast shipping. Wow, I, I can't say that right. Super fast shipping. Visit HockeyRefShop.com to place your order today. Uh, we were actually supposed to have Eric on this week's episode um, for a little bit to go along with our other interview that we're going to get into here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been on a crazy schedule as far as, cause he's a ODP guy. He works the USHL Southern pro league. Um, great kid. He, uh, he loves this game. He loves being an official and um the hockey ref shop he he definitely puts a lot of hard work and dedication into so guys um for stateside orders or even our canadian officials um check out hockey ref shop he's got a lot of good stuff on there and i think since you did mention this week's uh interview we might as well jump right into it he is the author of how to referee hockey Thank you. I haven't had it pulled up. That's on me. Um, he's based out of Winnipeg and he's writing this book. That's how to referee hockey. It's not just about the rule book. So this isn't just a, Hey, here's the rules. Here's how they work. Like it's, it's not yeah. that it's more so, it's here's so positioning. More. Yeah. Like just, we, we talked to him for probably a solid hour. Yeah. And I mean, like, 
I'm excited for the book to come out. I like, I could sit and record with him, and him and I could probably do a two-hour episode or a three-hour episode. Easy. Easy. Talking about, like, going back and forth, it could be, uh, uh, we could do a freaking se- eight-hour seminar. Oh, talking you guys, about the nuances of officiating. You know what? What you guys should do is just create that and then send it out to USA Hockey and Hockey Can and say, "Hey, here you go, boys. No here, need for a seminar. No just more watch seminars. This. Just watch this." <laughs> oh man, the people at USA would have a heart attack. They probably would, but it's okay. But I think without further ado, let's send it over to the interview. Today we have a very special guest, uh, Mr. Uh, Mitchell Jeffrey. He is currently writing a book called How to Referee Hockey. It's not just about the rule book. So we have an awesome interview with him coming up and uh, let's just go ahead and get to it. Mitchell, how are you doing today, bud? Uh, I'm cold. It's, uh, it's minus 25 degrees Celsius here in Winnipeg. There has not been any organized hockey leagues since October the 31st because of the pandemic. And that has given me lots of time to <laughs> finish up the book that you were just uh, just gave me a spot on, and it's it's been a wonderful experience because it's given me something to do when I have had no hockey. Oh uh, well, it's great definitely to have that time filler. You know, it, it's definitely been hard this year for everyone. Did did you say negative twenty five degrees Celsius? Negative 25 degrees Celsius. Okay, so that's negative 13 Fahrenheit for you American (laughs) listeners out there. Um, That's cool. I was trying to do the conversion in my head as I was talking. I'm like, I got no idea. I'm going Celsius. That's that's cold. Um, No, thank you. I'm here in sunny Florida where it is around 80 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, which would be let's see let me convert that real quick about 26 degrees celsius i was gonna say 25 so i actually do go to florida usually <laughs> most years my my in-laws snowbo- snowbird there in fort myers oh no way That's so a- this is the first time i don't know five years first time in five years that i haven't been uh in florida because obviously the order is yeah you, you, yeah well, and the next, they, time and they didn't go either. Here, next time you get down here, we're going to uh, get a cup of coffee and grab some lunch. Well, that would be a lot of fun whenever that happens to be. Yeah, right. Someday. <laughs> give, me, give me a needle. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, get I the guess. Vaccine's going. So I, I guess we should really just let's get into this book. Like, obviously, you know, with the pandemic going on and all that, you had a lot of free time on your hands what motivated you really to say, you know what, I want to write a book. So, so we'll, I guess we'll back up. So I was in Vancouver, British Columbia or the British Columbia area two years ago. And I started writing this thing while I was on holidays. And of course my wife rolled her eyes. She was like, so we're on holidays. I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to write a referee book. There's a rule book for that, honey. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's a rule book, but here's the thing all of these wonderful channels like yourself and uh, the Panda referee, who I, I know you're connected to on Instagram and uh, ref talk radio here in Manitoba, you guys do a wonderful job of talking about the rules and about penalty selection. What there doesn't seem to be a lot of resources for is the skills. So where do you, where, where does a grassroots official really start? They have, they really have to start with positioning and procedures and, and, and work their way up. And the, 
various hockey governing bodies create these documents, but the documents, they don't always have a lot of flow to them. They're very rigid. Mm. It's I can imagine, or I can remember being a 13 year old and trying to read the chop manual in Canada and it helped, but it wasn't an engaging read. So I decided that given that I have a master's degree and I've written two theses and I've learned something about writing, well, I can write a book about refereeing. So that was the motivation for it was trying to create another resource uh, for officials to use. And because you watch the IIHF and you watch American officials work with Canadian officials, work with French officials. The differences between our procedures are so small that you can always adapt. So even though this is a book that was written in Manitoba using an, by an official who came up in the Hockey Canada system, it's, it's applicable to officials in all parts of the world because clearly officials can figure out how to work together at, at international events. So, so, so that was the motivation was trying to create another resource for officials to tap into and hopefully see a flow to how the skills go together towards game management and not just a whole bunch of ideas put together in a, in a book, kind of like a to-do list. Well, and you bring up a couple of really good points there. The first one being the, the things that a new official doesn't necessarily learn in their seminar. Cause like here it's pretty much, or across the board, I feel like it's pretty much, here's your rule book go buy a whistle and a jersey and go have fun, <laughs> figure it out. Now, obviously there are a lot of local associations that do a mentoring program that have a bunch of different things that they do um, to help the young officials. But for the most part, it's very cut and dry. You go to your seminar, you do like, you know, here's what offsides is, here's what icing is, here's some penalty terminations and go have fun. And then the other, the other valid point that you bring up too is that regardless of who you work with, whether it's like me going somewhere and working with another American official or um, working uh, pro hockey when I'm doing either the, when I'm doing the coast, we have Canadian guys come down. Um, we, the system's pretty much the same. So yes, there are nuanced little differences, but for the most part, for everybody, the major things are all the same. So that definitely is a good thing that we're hitting on all these points for uh, for this book and all these young officials that are definitely going to be reading that. I, I was engaged with a, an official from Australia. He, he decided that he really wanted to attend one of my virtual seminars. And uh, so he got up at 2 a.m. And he mentioned to me as we were doing this that uh, that the end zone position is exactly the same, but they flipped two of the two, two of the words around. So that was mm -hmm. one of my first uh, exposures for Australia where I learned that, you know, it's the same thing, but it's a, it's just simply a nuance. The, this they goes call, back to my late night yeah. Facebook post, Brendan. I want to ref in Australia. <laughs> same thing as Austria. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> Sorry. We had oh, a, uh, we had a, a video pop up on our, uh, on the uh, Facebook group and it was a video from Austria and it was like two in the morning and I was like half asleep. And I was like, oh, that's his Australia. I want to ref in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I've never done any officiating outside of Canada. Um, but uh, I think it would be really neat to go to different places. I made decisions like I have two young kids and mm -hmm. that uh, those decisions certainly pushed my referee career in one specific direction. But man, yeah, that would be neat. Sure. I, have a, I have a buddy here. His name's Brendan Burnell. He has a... Uh, 
a, po- a podcast called uh, Ref Talk Radio here okay. in Manitoba. And uh, he, he works uh, the junior leagues here in Manitoba, but he actually jumped over into Bandy. And okay. he ended up in China refereeing Bandy. So he, oh, wow. so he's like, he always jokes, like never got to where I really wanted to be as a referee. I always wanted to get to the international level, but I could, inter- I, I could referee Bandy internationally. So he's been doing that for a few years. That's so awesome. that's how he, that's you how may he have got to, uh, you might have to hook us up with him so we can have him on in the future. Uh, he's sure. easily done. Perfect. So, well, let's, let's get back to the book. So yeah. as we're, as you're writing this, like, Obviously, there's, you know, the rule side and the positioning side and yeah. then, like the communication. So, like, what's what's the overall format for you? Like, do you start off with, like, the basics and then kind of expand from there? So, the book is not about the rules. That's the neat part. I say yeah. in the first two pages, you have a rule book. You need to know it. So, I don't even touch about the rules, which is neat. Mm-hmm. If you go to wpgrefs.com slash the-ref-book, there's a series of excerpts there. And one of those excerpts is the table of contents. So I can, I'll give you a brief synopsis, but the, the table of contents is on the website. Uh, there's three main skills. Now imagine those skills in a pyramid. Yep. The, the skill at the bottom of that pyramid is positioning. Positioning is all about your ability to see the play and stay out of the way. The second skill in the middle of that pyramid would be procedures. So procedures have three steps to them. You have to be able to stop play. You have to be able to separate players. And then you have to be able to start play again. And of course, there's nuances like, are you assessing a penalty that would go into separate players? Mm -hmm. That's procedures, working with your partners to manage a stoppage. Stop play, separate players, start play. And then the top category at the top of that pyramid is game management. And yes, penalties fit into there. And there's a discussion in that chapter about what an impact penalty is and how you select an impact penalty. And there's two specific questions that... uh, that you ask yourself when deciding if something was an impact penalty or not. Uh, but that chapter on, or that section on game management also has to do with communication and preventing bad things from happening and how it is the positioning and procedures get us to game management. Uh, so that's, that's the basic layout. And you can see, yeah. I believe it's a five page, five page table of contents, or maybe it was six page table of contents. Oh so my there's, goodness. Yeah. So it's the book's about 250 pages long. It's with my editor on its second round. So we're, we're closing in on the layout phase and it'll be around probably by earlier. I'm intending for early July to, uh, to release it. So, so that's right, the layout. Uh, right before the season really gets going again. That, that was the goal. And then there's, there's a fourth goal. So around that pyramid, imagine there's a box and everything around that, that pyramid is called professional skills. So that's mm-hmm. things like skating and the ability to receive feedback and the ability to use a calendar and schedule your games so you don't fail to show up and prioritize answering questions like, so I have a game at a U13A level, but now I get a chance to go and do U17 AAA. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I prioritize that? How do I ask my assigner of the U13 game for a favor, right? How do I make a decision if I get, so if you imagine that pyramid, three skills inside, positioning procedures, game management with that box around it of professional skills. Uh, that's, that is the layout of the book. And if you go to wpgrefs.com, you'll notice that the, uh, that the resource section is set up on that, on that pyramid. Man, that's, 
that's pretty awesome like well detailed um <clears throat> i know there are things that you know we teach in the seminars and then that we want to teach but we don't have enough time to and then obviously when we're going out and mentoring and supervising and doing all of that stuff we're trying to teach this stuff as well but it's definitely going to be nice to have a resource where you know at home you don't necessarily have to be doing a game. You can pick up this book and learn the things that, you know, some of the us senior guys that have the experience um, can, can share and, and shed light on. And, Cause at the end of the day, we can't teach somebody experience. No, like that's, that's definitely one of the hardest things. And I know for me, like, it's one of those things too, like as somebody, that's been doing this a long time it's like man I, I really wish I could just take the experience out of my head and give it to you and, and that way like you have the tools but you know guys have to go out and learn how to do it on their own but being able to pick up a book and you know have a like a supplemental tool to be able to learn that kind of stuff man this is awesome I'm actually looking really looking forward to reading it it's it's when I was writing my theses, they became my babies. And this has become like my, my twins or my triplets mm -hmm. because it's that much more, I put more work into this than I did to any of my theses. And it's just been, it's been really neat to put together. I even had to create, because of copyright stuff, I had to go and create my own ranks. So I went into PowerPoint and using, and I, I was really happy with how those turned out. That's like, awesome. Uh, like it, was, it was a real neat experience. The other thing that I would, I, I, I always like to mention is that you said before that we, go and teach the kids all these rules, right? And that's what the, the, the certification yeah. seminars are about. If you take a 13-year-old who's played hockey, chances are that they have enough rule knowledge to referee it. What they're mm -hmm. lacking is all the, all the skills. Yep. So oh, I it is, totally agree. From a certification point of view, I guess it makes logical sense that we have, think we have to teach the rules, but it, it, it's almost backwards and that we have to be yep. finding spending more time on the skills because most kids coming into refereeing probably have already have a good enough of an understanding of how to call a, an offside or a tripping call mm -hmm. in a, in a nine-year-old game, which is what they're going to be doing in their first season. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's a great point in itself too, because you know, most of these kids or even the, the young adults or even guys that decide to ref later in life, like, I feel like it, it's not necessarily a waste of time, at your seminar to do that stuff like obviously we're going to discuss like on and off sides like the determining edge of the blue line yeah but we don't you don't have to spend more than like 10 15 minutes on stuff like that whether it's offside or icing um penalty calls are a little different because it is judgment you need to understand why you're calling it not necessarily you know a trip is a trip but why is that trip a trip um, an example of, I can give would be uh, a buddy of mine who's a friend of the podcast went over to Germany to skate over there and do some games in the DEL. And he said, you know, these, these are all really good referees. They know what they're doing. But the problem is, is they're not taught. Why is that a penalty? Like take the temperature of the game. Um, understand that. I mean, obviously like a trip to trip, a hook's a hook, that kind of stuff. But no, no, they, I, I understand what they, you're saying. They yeah. don't think about, okay, I got a hook here. Did the guy accomplish what he was trying to do? Yeah, maybe we can let that, those go. Like they don't, they don't learn the, 
the game management style. They more, or the, the artist style, they more learn the scientist style. Yeah. So, so the phrase I would use is you have to, you have to learn to call impact penalties. So yeah. that, so that section is, it's, it is funny because it's one of the last things I get to. Mm-hmm. And I think I start that chapter with, well, we finally made it to talking about penalties. <laughs> and, and there's, when I coach, when I mentor officials, I don't mentor them on, here's what a trip looks like. Here's what a cross check looks like. If they yeah. had a bad game penalty selection wise, we just spend the entire time talking about impact penalties and learning how to define them because they can read the rule book. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing at the rule book about impact penalties. And that's where you get to what you were saying about, about art versus science. Yeah. Right. And there is an art to it and impact penalties for me, I find from a teaching point of view, being able to talk about impact penalties with young officials, as opposed mm-hmm. to I'm just going to take out my piece of paper here at 1305 of the second period, you did not call a cross check about against 13 white yep. on five blue and the kid in the dressing room looks with, and I remember supervisors doing this to me. And I, I, I'm sure I had the same dumbfounded look on my face. I'm like, I don't remember what happened at 1305 yeah. the second period. Been there. Oh man. Right. Oh, so I, yep. So I impact. So, you, so yeah. I just go and talk about impact penalties and we, I teach impact penalties, teach, 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 teach. And I've been doing this for seven years now. I've run a uh, grassroots level development program in, uh, in Winnipeg. And the feedback that I've received is that I have more guys make it to AAA and above than any other mm-hmm. area in the province. That's and, awesome. uh, and it's, it's not, and for me, it's about, we teach the basics so well. Yeah. Guys, guys impress me. I find out that one of my 15 year olds is doing 14 AAA hockey. I'm going, okay, I didn't have you doing that for another year at least, but Hey, good for you, man. I can't believe it. Like, it's just those basic skills and the understanding of what a penalty is. Well, and, it isn't. And, and let's, let's get away from the penalty stuff now, since, yeah. you know, obviously go out there, ref your game, learn the rules you know, see a penalty, call a penalty, understand why it's a penalty. Well, let's get into the other stuff. Like, yeah. Um, communication with coaches. Like, what do you, what do you, uh, what's, what do you have in the book or any kind of information or, you know, what, what can you say about that kind of stuff? Whether it be coaches or even with your teammates. Yeah. So there's, so there's a section in the book that is called, that is called how to respond to incidents. There's two parts to it. There's a section, it's in the game management, preventing incidents and then responding to incidents. And in there, there's a, there's a subsections about how to talk to coaches, when to talk to co- sorry, coaches slash captains, uh, decisions you can make about talking to coaches. Do you talk to a coach if he's screaming across the ice at you? My answer is no, it only encourages him to do it again. Uh, do we need to run around trying to make coaches happy so they don't yell at us? No, that's just them taking control of the game. If they're yelling at you, you either ignore it, you penalize it, you either ignore it or you penalize it. Those are your options. You don't, we're not there to be a nice guy. So there's, there's a section in there about, uh, and these are not just my ideas, but I interviewed various officials that uh, have, have worked higher levels than me, lower levels than me. And I tried to incorporate numerous different opinions about when and how you talk to coaches slash captains, uh, how to think about talking to coaches slash captains and game flow. Cause ultimately one of our responsibilities is maintaining the flow of the game and the best way to suck the flow of the game out of the, the, the fun of the flow out of the game is to spend way too much time talking to a coach. Yep. And that's definitely something that happens all too often, at least 
he, uh, in the grassroots level here, whether, you know, just any kind of minor travel hockey. Mm-hmm. And we spend too much time going, like, I, I tell guys, we don't explain minors. We don't. If, you know, if you got a split second to talk to the guy, go into the box, say, hey, you know, you can't do that, whatever. But if a coach is calling you over to talk about a minor, unless it's like something crazy, we're not, we're not going over there right away, especially when they're heated. Like we're waiting. Like for me personally, if I call a penalty and coach wants to talk about it, mm-hmm. I'm not going over there right away. I'm waiting a whistle or two. And when the time is right, if I can get to the bench for a quick discussion, then I'll go over because at that point he's, you know, his temperatures come down a little bit. He's going to be a little more rational when you're talking to him instead of when you're calling that penalty and going over basically walking into a, a pissed off hornet's nest. Yep. And you don't want to do that. Well, and you have other options too. You can, you know, as you're doing line change, you can grab the closest player to you and just go, your coach wants to know that why that was a penalty. Yep. You hooked exactly. him around the midsection. The player who got hooked stumbled. Exactly. Right? You lost control of the puck, caused a turnover. Please let you, like, I don't know. We're supposed to only talk to captains technically, but if I'm standing beside a kid and said, your coach, coach is pissed. Here's mm-hmm. what, here's what I saw. You can go tell him that. I avoid yep. for myself, unless it's a major, I'm not going to the bench. If it's, yeah. well, I should actually say, as long as the kids are of a certain age, I talk to captains. Yeah, right? makes sense. And that's because you have to maintain game flow. It's a game. It's, it's what we're supposed to be playing, not talking about things, not exactly. engaging in, in situations of the, gamesmanship. I, yep. I, I don't, I don't want, I don't need to get involved with your gamesmanship. My job is to make sure your gamesmanship doesn't affect this game. That's, mm-hmm. that's my role. Um, coaches who know me, you know, that I won't come talk to them. They just send a captain captains. Yep. Also, if you think about the other thing that I've discovered in 20 years of this is that ultimately captains goals are to play the game and coaches goals are to try to sway the game to their team's favor. And I don't blame them for that. That's the role of a coach. Like they're yep. very strategic. So I'll talk to a captain because the captain's more likely to just go, okay, thank you. Let's drop the puck. Yeah. Right. I always, Idea, yeah, I, always either, I, said, I was going to say, I always either talk to a captain or the guy that sits in the middle of the bench that just grinds away. And like, he uh, like the, the goalies and the goons are my best friends on the ice. Like yeah. that's like, I'll say something to goalies, like, or the, or the kid that's, you know, you know, he's either the goon or just kind of the, the guy that stirs the pot. If you get them on your side, you're golden. Yeah. So I'll communicate with them. I, I mean, obviously the captains as well, but you know, most of the time it's, you know, send me, or if there's somebody on the ice, like I'll say, like you said, during a line change, just grab a random player, say, Hey, go tell your coach this. Or tell this guy that kind of thing. Yeah, and I and I get positive feedback. Players like that, right? Yep. Players don't actually. I, I'm convinced players don't actually like watching the coach talk to the referee. I'm quite. Oh, not at all. No. And I I try to be. And this is something that I, I tell guys too. Like I try to be a player's referee. Like I played it at kind of a, not the highest level out there but I I still played the game at a decent level. And when I'm looking at things, it's like, man, if I was playing, I wouldn't have liked that. So then my arm goes in the air, that kind of stuff. Well, and then that's you almost jumping into impact penalties there. Yep. Well, what I'm saying though, is, is you got to, if you're showing compassion towards the teams and the players Mm -hmm. and like understanding where they're coming from, your ability to deescalate a situation 
usually ends up being better than just well it, it's it's a penalty and get get out of my face kind yeah. of thing well and de-escalation is interesting because a lot of one one item that no one ever thinks of is stress management mm-hmm. right the best the best referees just know how to manage their stress but there's another section in my book about uh about stress management and we need to talk about you know the, the get out of my face approach or calling penalties so much of how we call penalties or how it is that we manage ourselves on the ice and what we communicate to the arena is about our nonverbal body language, mm-hmm. right? But young referees need skills to actually learn those things. How do you manage your stress on the ice? So there is, there's information in how to referee hockey about, about uh, concrete things you can do to manage your stress as opposed to just, you know, don't get stressed, man. It's only a game, right? Yeah. So there's, there's an attempt to create a, a a concrete skill to something that's not very concrete. Stress management isn't a terribly concrete thing. Well, and that's something that's different from person to person. Yeah. Like the way you handle stress and the way I handle stress are going to be two completely different things. Absolutely. You have to find your own strategies. Exactly. And I think too, something that I try to tell guys, whether it's with stress or your penalty selection or communication, bring your personality onto the ice. Mm-hmm. don't go out there and be a robot be yourself out, be just be you yeah. like being me and being genuine gets me out of more problems than it gets me in because yeah. i'm going over and i'm talking to who it doesn't matter who i'm talking to or even just the way i ref the game like bringing my personality on the ice everybody knows what they're going to get especially yeah. the teams that see me over and over and over again, they know that I'm going out there. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to call penalties both ways. And I might have a good one liner every once in a while. I'm going to joke around with you. I'm going to let you speak your mind, but I'm not going to go out there and be a robot. And I, I think that's one thing that all young officials need to learn is bring your personality on the ice with you. Don't be afraid of, Oh man, I just lost my train of thought. Oh no. Don't, don't just don't be afraid to, to be you mm-hmm. is really what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And that, and that can, if, if you're able to not be afraid to be you, that can help with your, your stress as well. Mm-hmm. And not trying to be something you're not. Damn truth. Could you talk a little bit, <clears throat> sorry. Could you talk a little bit more about um, like the nonverbal communication? And, and just like body language, things like that. Did you know that in your brain, so I have a psychology degree and then I'm an occupational therapist. Did you know that in your brain, you have neurons that fire specifically when you watch other people do something? Those are called oh, kind of like, neurons. Kind of like uh, when one person yawns, everybody yawns. That's so what happens. Perfect example. Let's go with that. So in your brain, there's a bunch of mirror neurons and they're specifically used in order for you to be able to interpret things going on around you. When somebody yawns, a mirror neuron goes, I've seen that before. And then it activates the part of your brain that'll make you yawn. So, Mm -hmm. okay. So if you are pissed off, emotions are contagious. And we've probably, your listeners have probably heard that term before. If you're pissed off, the players around you will become more negative. If you're happy, the players around you will become more happy, more positive right? Because those, those emotions rub off on each other. So when you're mm-hmm. talking about the nonverbal communication, it's really important to realize that 
there's a there's a, a, a neurological reason why it is that the nonverbal communication is so important. So when we talk about the nonverbal communication, we need ways to to help ourselves give off that positive flow because of the contagious emotions. Now it also works the other way. We've heard of ideas such as you both have probably told officials to have nice crisp signals, right? We don't go and, and have a, a flamingo wave out. We give nice crisp signals. Mm -hmm. If we have crisp signals, what we do physically affects us mentally and everyone else that will have those contagious emotions as well. And they'll see you having crisp signals and it'll give off a positive, a positive vibe. If you are feeling really negative, I'll, I'll have you both try something right now. And I, I talked sure. about this in the book. Both of you give me the most ridiculous big smiles right now. Keep it on your face. Now try to think of something negative. Okay. Big smiles on your face. Try to think of something positive. Which one was easier, negative or positive? Positive. Positive. Okay. Clearly. Now give me the most, most ridiculous frowns. Okay. Think of something negative. Now, with the frown on your face, think of something positive, which was easier, thinking of something negative or something negative. positive. Okay, so that's that's the neurological basis for why it is that we have to understand our, our nonverbal communication. Okay, if you are frowning, your brain is wired for sadness. If you are smiling, your brain is wired for happiness. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's understanding the physical mental connection be, be, between what we're giving off and our brain, and it works either way. So we can use that to our advantage. So let's say it's a really loud arena and you come in to stop play on the, for the goalie to covering the puck and your hands go up in the air and you say, so I, I'm not going to yell, we're on the radio after all, but you say something really loud to get people's attention because it's an mm -hmm. intense game. But then for some weird reason, the arena goes really quiet. And it's happened where it goes loud to quiet like this. Yep. Snap, your, snap your fingers and you come off as just being really angry. So mm -hmm. in that moment, those negative emotions, which would have been just uh, interpreted as yelling over the arena, becomes negative emotions. At that moment, you have to figure out how are you going to use mirror neurons to flip this situation. And it might be laughing at yourself and going, bad guys, that was really loud, eh? And a yeah. big smile on your face. Uh, using that moment, using that moment, maybe they've looked at you and instead of scrumming with each other and looking at you like you're crazy. Yeah, I'm crazy, but I got your attention, right? Yep. Big smile on your face. I, and that's that's using those mirror neurons and all those players because it's flipping the brain to go from angry at each other to I see a big smile in front of me. Now my brain is just wired for happiness. Good mm -hmm. luck fighting when we can get your brain to wire for happiness. It, it's funny because I have, I have kind of a story that goes along with this, like a moment like that. Um, this was back when I was working the, um, the Atlantic Junior Hockey League and the Metropolitan Junior Hockey League, which no longer exists. This is like 10 years ago. I'm doing a game in Troy, New York. It's a Sunday morning. The Friday or the Saturday night game, I was elsewhere. It was a long night and I didn't really sleep too well. So it was two teams that I saw pretty often. We have a scrum in front of the net. Um, I blow the whistle, throw my arms in the air. The place goes dead silent. And I just yell, we're not, eff we're not effing doing this this morning, boys. It's too early for this. And I'm not fucking dealing with it. And their immediate reaction was they stopped. And one of the kids goes, Oh shit. Ross is pissed. <laughs> and the rest of the game, we didn't have anything, but it was one of those, like that kind of moment where, 
they read my, you know, my body language and all of that. And they're like, okay, I think we're going to stop screwing around now. And that's reading the moments. So, yep. I, so, so that's a great example because it shows that it, it can work the other way too. They're going to pay mm -hmm. attention because they think you're pissed. I suspect that if you have players that know you, yeah. it probably works that way. If you're kind of running into something slightly more blind, I think yeah. the positivity angle has to be, uh, well, that was more, it was, the outcome of it was because all these guys were used to having me yeah. all the time. So, cause they, you know, they know my personality. And then when I, when I like really blow up on something, they're like, Oh, okay. We're good. We're good yeah. here. So I think that also brings up an interesting point about uh, grassroots officials because grassroots officials aren't working in a league where people know them. They're working mm -hmm. with Johnny's dad. Who's a coach, right? Yep. Um, so when we're, when we're mentoring grassroots level officials, we all, we have to take ourselves out of the, everyone knows me approach, which is just fascinating because all of us get to a level where the coaches know us. Yep. Right. When I made it to junior, I went back and did a triple a game, uh, that I hadn't done. I hadn't done triple a in probably a year at that point, but the assignment needed some help. And I saw a coach who I'd known for years and he just said, like, he just remembered who you were. And you get to that point where everyone, the player, the coaches know you, the players know you for that one or two or three seasons while they play there. But uh, for the growth of those grassroots officials, we have to give them the opportunity to have all the tools available to deal with people who don't know them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's a great story. That's a, that's a really good uh, compliment to my, to my idea of smiling and trying to create that positive energy. Yep. Well, it's one of those things too, like you're talking about the grassroots stuff and it's so hard for these kids to learn this stuff, especially when, you know, it's a, here's your rule book. Here's this. You got two young officials out there. We got, you know, coaches yelling at them, parents yelling at them. And that's actually something I'm working on. Like here, we're starting a development program within the state and we're going to go to the coaches before games and like, Hey, we got guys out here that we're trying to develop into, you know, to do bigger and better things. And we want to provide you the best officiating that you can get. We, we need to all, we're all in this together. And I, I think when these kids get, get to learn this kind of stuff, it's definitely going to help with like retention and all that. Cause I know in the here, it's really hard for us to keep officials. Yeah. So uh, it's on WPGRFs, I did some research in the last year about how many uh, officials quit. We lose about 33% of our officials in Winnipeg and every year. And that's honestly, that 33% number is about right. Like that's, I think, across the board. Um, it's about 30 to 40% retention loss every year. And, that, now, and interestingly, that was for first years or non-first years. I found that, I thought it would be different, but it was 33% oh, wow. for See, first years or for experienced officials. I'm not sure as far as like for the U S with experienced officials, I know obviously there's an attrition rate where guys are, you know, they retire. At, yeah, they retire. So yeah. that's fine. But like just straight up, like you're, you've been doing it five years and then you're like, I don't want to take this abuse anymore. I don't, I don't know what the number would be there, but I know like first and second year officials generally have that about 30%. Yeah. And uh, that's, so if you go to WPGRefs.com and you go into the research section of my website, you actually get to see all the surveys that I've done. It's, it's, it's neat to see different uh, information that I've learned from people. Very humbling to have people actually fill out my surveys. Um, 
And uh, some of that information has actually been moved over into the book. Like, for example, at the end of the book, there's a, a section about how many calories do you burn, how many steps, calories, distance, and exercise minutes do you get during mm-hmm. a hockey game. So it's it's really neat to learn those, those yeah, things let's, about let's get into Let's get into the fitness stuff. Um, obviously, the game that we're skating now, especially when we're doing games three-man, it's become such a quick game that fitness is huge for referees. Like we can't just go out there and skate around and get through a game. What, uh, what kind of fitness uh, advice do you have? It's a lifestyle is number one. So being in shape is a lifestyle. And number two, refereeing is not how you get in shape. It's why you are in shape. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm not a fitness expert. Uh, I focus on, in the book, I don't uh, go into great detail about, uh, you know, this exercise or that stretch or because I, yeah. that's beyond the scope of the book. Everyone has to focus on how do they want to get in shape. But it is the idea of number of number one, what I said about, about how, refereeing is not how you get in shape. It's the reason you are in shape. So you exercise to be ready for the game. Uh, number two, the idea, and I'll expand on this now, the idea that it's a lifestyle. So looking for every opportunity that it takes that you have to be active and move. Mm-hmm. So I'm an, as an occupational therapist, I work in the workplace health and safety. I do ergonomics. One of the things that can help you when you work at a computer is changing positions. So getting up and moving. So it's the same idea when you're trying to stay in shape to be a good official. Yes, there's treadmills and bikes and all that, but there's so many other opportunities to, to get your heart pumping, take the stairs instead of the elevator, look for every opportunity there is to train your body to move and understand how to move and how to, and how to get your heart rate even up into the range of a hundred to start with. If you can take the stairs uh, instead of the elevator, your, your heart gets up to the range of a hundred, 120 for a couple of minutes. Excellent. Mm -hmm. You've just done a little more training for yourself. Right. If you choose, you know, I don't have to take my car day. I'm going to take the bus. It's going to make me walk to the bus. It's going to be more opportunity just for me to move. You have to find ways to work it into your lifestyle and not yeah. just depend on. So this is a professional opinion. Now, you, there's research that's been done that suggests that if you sit at the computer for eight hours a day, you can't overcome that just because you go jump on the treadmill or go to the gym for an hour at the end of the day. We yeah. have to be to be our best physical selves. You have to have find ways to have constant movement throughout your day. If you are working at a computer, you get up uh, once an hour and go for about 250 steps, which is what mm-hmm. Fitbit says. I say three minutes of walking every hour if you're working at a computer. Makes so, sense. So that those are the ideas that I cover because those are the things I fully understand because I'm not an uh, I'm not a fitness expert. Well, yeah, I'm and trained as such, but those are the ideas. Make it part of your life. Don't just depend on an hour at the gym or think that you're going to get into shape because of refereeing. Yeah, well, and you the point that you're making is it is a lifestyle, and yes, ho- officiating hockey is a lifestyle. As as weird as that sounds for some people, like you're 20 years into this. I'm 20 years into this. It's such a part of my life and my lifestyle that I don't, I wouldn't know what to do if I didn't have this. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've been saying for years, Oh, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But then I'm like, stop saying that. Cause what are you going to do with your free time if you don't? And it definitely overall is a lifestyle and it, it, starts at home with you know your fitness and your rule knowledge and all that and then it carries forward to the rink mm-hmm. like the people that are watching your game whether it be other referees evaluating you 
or the coaches or the parents, they know the difference between the guys that are out there because they're out there, like whether it be to get a paycheck or they're, you know, they just, they're reffing just whatever. And then they know, they know the guys that have dedicated their time and their life to this stuff because it, it shows like it shows on the ice and the way you carry yourself and yeah, the nonverbals. Yep. Do you want to be there? Yep, exactly. And, and, you know, we, we do have those nonverbals, like, um, I'll give an example, like when you're lining up for a face-off, when you're bent over hands on your knees, legs spread and like a ready position, but a tired looking ready position Yeah. compared to when you're the referee being upright, ready position, no hands on yeah. the legs, just ready to go. Like there's just a huge difference in something that little that they're going to see out there, your hands on your, Oh, that guy must be tired. He might've stayed out too late last night, or he might be out of shape. Whereas like, if you're upright and you look ready to go, the perception is going to be completely different. So when we make a mistake, like if I make a mistake on the ice and I want to give a reason why I made a mistake, it'll be something external to myself. Mm-hmm. Right. When someone else sees you make a mistake, they always ascribe that mistake to an internal issue. Like you stayed out too late last night. Mm-hmm. or you're out of shape so it's so important that you like the way you just touched on there because everyone else is going to give you something is going to blame you for something that goes wrong whereas they won't assume that it's because of something that was outside of your control it's always mm-hmm. your fault so it's so important to take advantage of every little thing you have like your you said uh, uh hands down on your knees make you look kind of tired right yeah totally you, you have to take advantage of all those things got to stand up Right. That's just one little thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a uh, supervisor many years ago to tell me if you really want to put your hands on something, put them on uh, at your hips, hips and you can lean yep. forward. But it's because as soon as you go down to your knees, you'll look like you're taking a breather. Yep. And I think I was 17 at that point. I was working I, my way and, up. And, and so, and that stuck with me. I've never, I, I've never went knees down again. I don't know what the term is. I've never put my hands on my knees again since yep. I was 17. I, I always have to fight it. Like there are times I'm like, man, I, sh- and then you're like, nope, can't do that. Can't do that. Perception is everything. It helps with blood flow. I'll, I'll, I'll give your listeners a, another reason not to not to, to to keel over like that. As soon as you keel over, you're making all of your 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 arteries and veins push together, which makes blood flow flow harder. Blood blood carries oxygen. If it doesn't flow properly, you're not going to recover as quickly. So stand up. Makes sense. It's the same idea as after you go running on the treadmill, you don't just shut off your treadmill and jump off. You work your way down to a, to a brisk walk and then down Mm -hmm. to a very slow walk. It's because you have to recover from it. And if you're putting your hands down on your knees, you're not recovering. It's not going to help you regain your energy. Exactly. You're breathing, knowing that your line change procedure, if you're a linesman and you're over with the benches, managing the benches, do you have, do you have a breathing procedure you go through to help your oxygen re uh, get to the different parts of your body so you'll recover faster while you're you're, yep. you're working through your time at the well, bench. I got uh, a smile on your face. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll tell you my 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 way of uh, doing that is um, if I'm gassed, there's a long, much longer line change procedure. It's so funny, actually. One specifically, I'm working with one of the young kids that was down here for the juniors. And he's traveling a distance on his end zone line change procedures. And I'm like, dude, you don't have to skate that far. He goes, I'm trying to go. Oh, he, from the goal line out to the blue line, 
doing his thing and then wow. going back. And Top of skate. the circle is as far as you go, man. Top well, of the circle. Well, I know. And I'm like, dude, you don't have to skate that far. He goes, dude, I am gassed. I'm using every second I can to catch my breath. I said, touche. No, and <laughs> I am credit, 100% okay with that. And credit to him, that extra little skate will help. Like, it will help him recover. Yep. As long as you're not pushing yourself ridiculously. It looks a little weird to go that far out, but mm-hmm. I don't think anyone will notice. No, and that's, and that's, that's creative of him. Oh yeah, very creative, and it's one of those things like when you're roughing, and you need a you need a break. There's a little bit of a longer line change. Line, mm-hmm. I see Brendan laughing at me. I do. I did it yesterday in my squirt championship game. Oh, that's right. You had the squirt championship game. Yeah, yesterday. and they made me go end to end, and I was like, no, thank you. So right after that, my <laughs> line change was like ten to fifteen seconds long. Like I was like, nope, not putting my arm down. <laughs> Meanwhile, the coaches are like, why is this kid putting his arm in the air? Every oh, yeah, like all, all the kids were like lined up, ready to go. And my linesman's just looking at me and I'm just shaking my head at him like, nah, give, give me a minute. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. And obviously that goes back in all the fitness stuff and that too. But it, yeah. it's definitely. I, if it goes back and forth. You know, I had, a, I had a, a supervisor many years ago tell me that if you don't understand how to pursue the play and minimize your stops and starts, I don't care how in shape you are. Yep. So that brings us back to the idea of procedures. Uh, actually, yep. that would be positioning. So positioning is all about what happens during the play. And that includes your pursuit big, of the play, right? Big, big so, figure eights. <laughs> yeah. And I, that was it. I made that, uh, uh, I, I made that uh, picture. I was excited when I made that picture and uh, yep. I, just, with the big figure. And I usually say, imagine that we've tied you to the rafters and you are hanging down over the ice. Mm-hmm. What does the referee look like moving up and down the, the, uh, the sheet of ice? The big figure eight. Yep. Yeah. And, and then uh, the timing entering the zone. How do you enter the zone? How do you exit the zone? Uh, I call it happy feet. So the, so the kid who can't decide if he needs to leave the, uh, the end zone or not ends up, doing uh, the yo-yo back and forth from the mm-hmm. bottom of the circle to the top of the circle as the puck goes from deep in the zone to the blue line, right? Understanding how to pursue the play. It's a lot, it was a lot of fun to write. The, the yo-yo and the, not the kid, he's not the yo-yo, but the yo-yo phenomenon of the kid moving mm-hmm. back and forth and then happy feet, which is almost like you're just skating around the circle as the play goes in because as the play moves in the end zone because you're so concerned about not falling behind the play. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about that in the book as well and how you can, I, I tell you, I, I think this book is going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to reading it when you get it finished. Um, and after, I think after me and Brendan both read it, we're going to have you back on. And I, I always like to talk reffing. Oh. And, and you know what else? I should say lining too. I've been trying to, I wish there was a, a general term you could use just to describe everybody, but there really isn't. Well, I, I mean, with... When it comes to when we get to the higher levels of hockey, like I'm a linesman. Yeah. I know my role. I'm a linesman. I help my referees a lot because as as I told one of our young kids here, when I was having a, 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 a teaching moment with him, I might not have been a referee at, in pro hockey or whatever, but I've sat in enough locker rooms as a linesman at that level that I've learned quite a bit about because I've sat in there when I've had referees getting yelled at and I've sat in there when I've had referees getting awesome feedbacks that they did the best job ever. And I've been there everywhere in between. 
So as a linesman, my goal is to help the referee as much as I can. Like it's, it's kind of a cliche, not really a cliche term, but behind every good referee is an even better linesman. Cause we're out there, we're out there putting out fires that the referee's not even aware of. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely like, and when we get to these levels, you're either a referee or you're a linesman. There's no both. So it's definitely one of those things like, um, do you, okay. For, for that in the book, do you have anything like referee specific linesman specific? Uh, absolutely. When you take a look at the Perfect. procedures, the procedure section is broken down into uh, the two official and the three official system. Okay. Uh, well, the whole, actually the first two sections are broken down. Positioning and procedures are both broken down into two official and three official system. The okay. four official system is covered, but very lightly near the end of the book, just enough yeah. to get someone to transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, for lines people, I'm trying to switch to lines people. <laughs> Hockey, Can- Hockey Canada changes to lines people as they should have. So I keep, I keep tripping over lines people versus linesmen. So gotcha. for, and I went through and I used the uh, power, the, the search feature on Word, and I went and changed all of the lines but to lines people and lines person. It's quite, yes. the, quite the change. Anyway, back to your question. So the procedure section is broken down into basically a bunch of uh, step-by-step to-do lists. So... Uh, and it's usually written from the perspective of the of the referee or the lines person or the official for the two official system. So yeah. it talks about first. I, so here's what I do first. And then I'm looking over here. And after two steps, I take a half second pause and look again to see if anything's happening over there. So it's, it's very much so designed so that a new official is able to try to get into the eyes of me. Basically, I broke the book. So into my yeah. eyes and what I'm doing uh, so that because when you are a starting at anything you need really concrete skills you can't get mm-hmm. you have to start with the science of a skill before you can learn the art right Makes and that's sense. what the procedure section tries to do and it's broken down into the officials for the two official system which is why i don't just use officials to describe everybody yep. and lines people and then the referee and the other sense. the other thing that's really interesting is referees have some control over preventing bad things from happening on the ice mm-hmm. but the two people on the ice that actually have the most control over preventing bad things are your lines people. Yep. Ain't their ability true. to talk to players, their ability to, and oh, uh, we're like over it's, just, there, it's incredible. We're over there working the benches yep. and talking to guys, getting the messages. And like, for example, when I was working full time in the Southern pro league, I knew when stuff was about to go down. As a lineman? Yeah. As a linesman. Yeah. Because yeah. guys are like, hey, we're going to fight next shift. So I'll go, I'll go to the referee. Hey, just so you know, player A and player B, uh, next shift, they're going to drop the gloves. It might be on the face-off or it might be after. Yeah. Or, you know, guys like, oh, what's his problem tonight? And then I come up with something, you know, something funny to ease yeah. the tension, calm the guys down, or even communicating with coaches because we're over there all the time. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the little fires that, you know, the people working the lines put out stuff that if a really good linesman or lines person, um, the referee has no clue what's going on. Meanwhile, we're over well, there helping them out big time. Yeah. And it's just the, the skill. It's funny. Cause like people are like, Oh, you know, being a linesman JFL, 
you know, you don't really do anything. You call offsides and icing. It's like, no, it's so much more than that. So as we move to the end of the book, there's a, there's a, there's a, a section understanding how you earn the trust of the arena. And ultimately, if you can earn the trust of the arena, you're, you're given more of a benefit of doubt when you make a mistake. And when a game goes south, mm-hmm. it's easier to get to recover from it. Yes. The thing that you don't, that you had, you said JFL, the thing that we have to be so careful with younger officials getting that idea in their head is that if we have linesmen who stop the play, then stay at the boards and don't do anything, the trust of the arena is going to be damaged. And if you don't yep. have the trust of that arena, so much of it is determined by what all the officials are doing, but especially those lines people, because if there's no pushing going on, it's not obvious what lines people are doing at the whistles. Yeah but you have to then understand the idea of positive presence. So when I talk about presence, I'm referring to the ability of the entire arena to know the officials are there, the referees, linesmen, and officials are there, but that you're not the center of attention. It's a very fine line to walk. If you become the center of attention, uh, you are not going to have success. But if everyone just knows you're there, you're in the back of their head, they, they, they will learn to trust you because you're doing your job. And, uh, I think it's just so important to know your job and do your job when you are officiating, refereeing, lining a hockey game. Yep. And and that all comes down to that, understanding your role and getting past the idea of I'm just a linesman or I, I can be out of shape, I'll hide in the two official system, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. And, and that's just really kind of a good summary, I would say, of, of everything that we've talked about. Like know your role, know your job, you know, learn everything you can so that as you move up the ladder you you're continuing to learn like i still learn every time i'm I'm on the ice like i know brendan's the same way like we have situations happen that we might not have ever seen before Mm -hmm. or like this past weekend i called something in a usa hockey game that i've never called in a usa hockey game in 20 years of doing this um so it's just one of those things like I feel like this book is definitely going to be one of a tool that adds to the toolbox that that's the idea. Need. Like, especially the young guys, we, we all, the guys that haven't been doing this very long, like adding tools to your toolbox, whether it be this book or like on our end to plug one of our things, the team stripes Academy um, or listening to these podcasts, whether it's us or the ref talk, um watching the videos like with usa hockey we're sending out or they send out uh like videos of the week and stuff uh on the instagram and all that like constantly learning is the biggest thing that you can do as an official and it's a lot of fun too and make it a lifestyle and yes it's obvious it's a lot of fun and when you get good at it it's even more fun Mm -hmm. yeah have you have you uh did you notice the tagline for uh, the book yet the tagline for the book know your job do your job oh know your job do your job perfect and and that's yeah. and and that's really what it comes down to what is it i think it was i think it's belichick do your damn job i think yes there's a the, there's a footnote there's a footnote that said yes that's where that came that yeah. was the idea uh, i also talk about his situational officiating which is also mm-hmm. from belichick but he says situational football and yeah there's a there's a footnote mentioning belichick in there when i start talking about situational officiating makes sense well i i think with that i think we've kind of covered pretty much everything in the book brendan do you have anything because I, I know i've been doing a lot of talking and you're just sitting here hanging out 
I know. I love it. Um, no, but thank you for coming on. I mean, it was awesome. I can't wait to read the book. I'm not a big book reader, but I'll definitely be reading this one and then we'll definitely bring you back on after. Well, thank you very much for having me guys. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, guys, once again, this was uh, Mitchell Jeffrey. His book is titled how to referee hockey. It's not just about the rule book. It is coming out at some point this summer. When it does come out, Mitchell's going to let us know, and we're going to blast it on all of our social media so that uh, you guys can uh, go pick it up. And Mitchell, where's the book going to be available? Is it going to be like an ebook? Um, we talking like Amazon? It'll be um, on Amazon. So I'm going to just simply link it through WPGrefs.com. It will be okay. available on Amazon, which is really important for my American friends because. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you can get free shipping. <laughs> yes. Because I would much, I would much prefer you to use your Amazon Prime account uh, yes. and have to pay. I don't know what it will cost. Well, my actually, yeah. my wife does shipping. She said to the states, it'll cost twenty five dollars Canadian. I'm like, good God. Yeah. Thank God for Amazon. Uh, it's going to come out. In, there's there's an e, there's an ebook. It'll it will cost uh, ten dollars Canadian. I haven't set American prices yet, but I guess for you okay. guys, a conversion will be like seven bucks American. Okay. And. Uh, $30 Canadian for a paperback and $40 Canadian for a hardcover. Makes Which sense. American, I guess that's like seven bucks, $22 and like $32. I believe yeah. So, sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, either way, whether you get it digitally or uh, hard copy, I think this is just going to be a great tool for everyone out there, especially our, our newer officials that listen to this podcast. Definitely check this out. Again, we'll have all the links to it. We'll blast it on social media. And then after the book comes out and Brendan and I have read it, we're definitely going to dive more into, uh, into it and uh, have an even longer conversation about all this stuff. And uh, well, like again, I said, I like talking refereeing, especially developing officials. It's great. Oh, I, I, and you know, and, and like for me, I'm at that point in my career as well, where it's, it's not about me anymore. It's about the next guys. Mm-hmm. And I have, I'm we got a couple of officials um, here. One uh, we had on last week. She just did her first women's NCAA D1 games. We have another official out of Florida who's working the North American Hockey League. Oh, He's working the, the South Division, and um, I, and I've been part of their development. And that's the thing, like if if we as this podcast and you as the author of this book help even one guy get to the next level or achieve their goal of hey i'm now a level five or i'm, I'm going for my level six or uh, i'm going to work pro hockey or going to work junior like just be having that impact on one person is worth it it is um, so it's just it's been you know, i i have a lot of fun doing it and getting to talk about things so again thank you for having me yeah look forward to speaking more sweet it was a pleasure and with that we'll go back to the main podcast that interview was brought to you by sig hockey are you in the market for new equipment SigHockey.com is your newest source for pro stock nhl and ncaa hockey gear sig hockey is offering team stripes listeners 10 percent off the first purchase with code STRIPES10. That's STRIPES10 for 10% off your order at SIG Hockey. That's SIG, S-I-G Hockey.com. Uh, Ross, that interview, as we talked a little, about, a little bit before, was absolutely 
awesome. I mean, we could we could have continued talking for probably hours upon hours. Oh yeah, for sure. But I mean, for definitely sure. definitely a great interview and somebody we will have on later. Um, moving on though, we need to talk about a story that came yeah. out today. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about all the goings on. We got a story there. We got a a five thousand dollar goaltender interference penalty yep. to talk about. And then we got states um, was was I guess for both of us states. So, so USA Hockey weekend. States was last weekend. I'm a little pissed off about uh, um the locations of some things for nationals why um, dallas not, has two i shouldn't them. i shouldn't be pissed i should say more i'm upset because the u15 alliance were trying to get usa to bring u15 natties here and of course they're going to dallas instead lucky well, i mean yeah that's honestly so in all of usa hockey that is my favorite age group the u15 oh they're the best hockey is so good but anyway, let's talk well, about what's happening. Oh, go ahead. Really quick about nationals. So this year I'm a level four. <coughs> First year being a level four, I'm like sick. I get to work nationals. I have two national tournaments in Dallas to work. Like hopefully I can ban. Are one you gonna game. get? Are you gonna get the invite? Well, so here's the issue. Even if I did get the invite, I would unfortunately have to turn it down because my buddy who is my best friend who we've had on the show ethan trexler is getting married that weekend oh and so i well if you if you get offered and have to turn it down be like i got a guy i got a guy and and then submit your name yeah because i've i you know so i've done a lot of things as far as being an official a usa hockey national is not one of them so I've thankfully done a nationals. Uh, I, did I mean, men, I've done men's lash nationals, but that doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, like I've done a youth. I think it was U 16s whenever they were here in Dallas two, two or three years ago. I did it. Um, but the, hey, the speaking thing in a Reese, hold on. Is hold he here? On. He's here. But no, it's funny. The only, I guess, tournament for USA I haven't done is districts. Gotcha. So I've done states, I've done nationals. I've done a districts, so I've never done a national. Yeah, districts is still on my list. Um, all right, so actually, you know what? Uh, while you talk about this story, I'm going to pull up the list of nationals locations, and we'll uh, we'll put that out there for everybody. Yeah, so the story that we're talking about is in Ontario. The government has decided, or, or Hockey Ontario has decided that they are going to make minor hockey officials wear green bands. So if you're under the age of 18, you'll have to wear a green armband to identify yourself as a minor. To me, it's kind of weird. I mean, I get it because they want to stop the abuse. And in theory, if a parent is looking at a kid who is under 18, maybe they'll stop yelling at them. It also, they are making the penalties stricter. Uh, the punishments more harsh for people that are yelling at minor officials. So to me, it's, it's a good thing. I think it's just going to be a little bit weird because like hockey officials, we don't want to be in the limelight. And now it's going to be like, Hey, here's a green green armband for all the parents, all the coaches and all the players to know that I'm under 18. And I know when I was like 16, 17, I was skating double a hockey, like, cause I was good enough and I was qualified I highly doubt people knew I was that young. 
So it's one of those things where I think it's putting almost a bigger target on young officials. Yeah. So, and, and that's my, my train of thought on this is, so don't get me wrong. I think this is a good idea. I think to be able to identify to the coaches and the parents, Hey, this is a kid out here. I think that's smart because they're more likely going to not go as hard or they're going to understand that they need to treat them like obviously like an adult, but they, they can't treat them like an adult as far as like the yelling and the screaming and the abuse goes. So I like that side of it. It's a, Hey, this is a young official be respectful. Um, But at the same time, it's like, okay, so now we're, we're at a game and the parents like, Oh great. I got two kids with green armbands out here and a third guy. So like, they're going to go into it. Like, Oh boy, here we go. We got these kids reffing. Yeah. And I mean, those kids could be like, I mean, not next in line for the NHL, but like they could be really good officials at 17, 18, even. Yeah, or sixteen and seventeen, I should say. Hey, hey Reese, what's up, buddy? What's going on? Welcome to okay. the show. Oh, thanks. I was just gonna add to it. I mean, everybody in the rink knows they're a minor official. Like, what difference does it make? Yeah, at you look point, young. So, why is it any more acceptable for for you to yell at an adult than it is to Whoa. point them out that you can't it, yell at them? It's not. My so, feelings don't matter. That's point? why. So what's the point? Um, I, I would just say, I think it's an optics thing. I think it's to try to help with retention. Um, Cause if you can, if that green armband gets one more official or one less official yelled at and one, one less official to quit, it's worked. So they're, they're also saying here in, in the article that I have pulled up, they're saying more than 40% of all officials in the region are under the age of 18 and that uh, about half of them 40%? quit. Yes. And that now this is only in Eastern Ontario, but still, I mean, that's oh, great. Okay. That, I thought that, that was all, I thought that was the whole province. No. So it's just Eastern like Ontario, shit. but the fact that still like half of your province, 40% are under the age of 18 is sick. Like that's and then, awesome. And then every year, 50% of that 20%. Exactly. Goes. So the first year uh, about half quit and then the 50% quit the second year. So you go from having a hundred percent down to 50 down to 25%. <coughs> so yeah. And see, that's a problem. And, and, and I think we all know it's a problem. I mean, guys get yelled at all the time, whether you're 16 or 36, it's an issue in youth sports completely. I just don't think a green armband is going to change a whole lot. Um, I remember, I think we talked about this in the past and I, I don't know which province was thinking about doing it. I'm curious if the other province or the other place that did it saw positive results to the point where someone else said, hey, we're getting positive results here, so maybe let's try to expand this. So it started early last year in Montreal, um, but I haven't seen anything from Montreal or even Hockey Canada saying like, oh, yeah, we've seen a dip. 
that's their hope, yeah. but I don't – I mean. I, I agree with Ross. If it, if it keeps one young official, then I guess it's worked. But at the same time, I just – I feel like the young official doesn't want to feel like they're being singled out. Yeah. I was going to say, like, oh. if, if I was under the age of 18, I mean, you're already scared anyway. Not scared, yeah. but you have a little bit of nervousness to be out there because whether you want it to be or not, a grown adult's going to yell at you about something, whether he's right or he's wrong, it doesn't matter. Like a coach is going to question you at some point along the way. And now the fact that that coach now knows I'm under 18, like great. I just lost all credibility. Well, I I would say it's, 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 there's a huge catch 22 here because you know, you're going out there as 16, 17. I mean, I started when I was 15 or 14 or 15. And you're, you're, yes, you're at a disadvantage of age and experience and all that. But if it helps not a kid not get yelled at, and it does, yeah, exactly. And you know what? I think too, it it makes it's sorry, the optics of it, it shows that, hey, you know, this kid is this age, he's out here, he's trying, he wants to give back to the game he wants to be an official as well as play so like it's not i I just i feel like it shows good things for the kids like hey he's out here doing this whatever and we're gonna get to a point hopefully where these coaches understand they can't abuse officials especially those young ones yeah i mean yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. It's just one of those things where it's like either way you look at it, yes, it's gonna be either really good or it's gonna go really bad. Hopefully it goes really well. And how how bad is the abuse up there? Like do we do we know like game to game is it any worse than it is anywhere else? That doesn't really matter, right? It's subjective to the person. Yeah. Well From yeah, my understanding it's a little less i mean like i could speak on texas like parents and 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 the teams we get here i mean it can I, get brutal at times and mm-hmm. you know that when you're working games with teams from out of town like you have parents that come in from a, a certain you know yeah uh, state or wherever and you're like yep. oh you can tell that your games are uh, a lot different than how, how it goes here or, well i mean a perfect example here is um one of the organizations, like whenever you're working their games, you're like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. And Whereas- it's and it's a culture around that organization that you would think would have changed by now, but it's still the same way it was when I was playing, as far as the parents and the level of, of abuse they d- dish out, not only to the officials but the players and the coaches as well. Like this is coming from the parent side. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing like I would think of is hopefully they're in Canada. I expect them to be not necessarily more educated on the game, but more well-versed makes sense because like, let's face it, Canada, you, you either play hockey or you play hockey. Well, you either play hockey, play hockey, or you play lacrosse. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then in the summer, maybe you play soccer for shits and giggles. But yeah. like the parents, generally, the parents have played. Whereas 
we run into a lot, especially down here Mm -hmm. and in the South in general is you have first generation hockey players. The parents have never played. And if the parents do, they can barely skate. Yeah. And if they think, okay, I can barely skate, but they've seen the NHL guys do it. And that's how they call it in the NHL. That's their only experience. Whereas hopefully in Canada, the parents have at least played it and they understand the game just a little bit more and that that is an extremely valid point and i think that's um it's smart that uh that you say that and i think it's it it's definitely just it's going to be interesting i I can't wait to see what the results of this are because i mean sorry even to add to that i mean you can tell the difference between a coach that's played at a high level versus a volunteer dad yeah a coach at a high and level I, well and i have no, like i have no issues on either side as far as hey you know what hey you're volunteering to be out there if you're learning whatever not a big one thousand percent thank you for being out here yeah like obviously kids need to be coached and i understand you know you can't get yep. an ex-pro to coach every team but yep. the difference in how a bench is run and how the coach handles officials <coughs> is tenfold. Because yeah. I mean, I've I've never once been yelled at by an ex pro guy or a guy that's high level of coaching. Well, you've been yelled at, but but they he's generally had a point. They have a point, and they understand what they're talking about. And when you go over there and explain what you saw, they're like, "Okay, cool, like it's done." Now, I think it's we've come to a point in our game where with the education tools that are out there for the officials, I feel like at least something that could make our game better across the board would be making the coaches attend in some way, shape or form or a coach formatted like level one type seminar that they have to do every year as part of their yearly registration stuff. I wouldn't mind that at all. I know down here, uh, our state supervisor actually goes to the start of the year board meetings for the teams where like all yeah. the teams get together and he literally sits there and will answer any rules question that they could possibly mm-hmm. ask him. Yep. And since he started to do that, I've noticed a difference because hopefully well, people start getting it. Yeah. You, you open up the lines of communication between you know, whether it be your state supervisor, the local association and the coaches and the players, like they need to understand that, you know, we're not just out here to throw them in the box or point at the net. Like, I mean, I, I do like pointing at the net though. Yeah. Or calling icing or offsides, whatever. But we, we need to have everybody on the same page. Like all the stuff that they put out there, like, USA specifically on the on the officiating like Instagram and Twitter all the vi- all the videos they post. I don't know if that kind of stuff makes it to the coaches. I have no clue, and it when, should. When I coached, it didn't. So, Reese, what do you think? Like, as far as uh, like all this kind of the training materials that we get, like the coaches should be seeing this stuff too. Yeah, I mean. I, I feel like they're saying it to an extent, but it's how much do you want to listen to it, right? Do you care? At the end of the day, some of the coaches show up and they know they're going to yell at you anyway. There's, there's, yeah. 
coaches all the time. They, well, I, I get that, but when yeah. like there's certain levels that you work that you should when you skate over to the bench to talk to the coach, I f- I like an example would be doing like the the tier one fifteen use. When I go over to a bench there, I'm expecting that that coach knows the rules because right. of the level that he's coaching. Not so maybe not- knows them, but understands them. Yeah. Right. Whereas, I mean, obviously you got the rec parent who's coaching or whatever. Like, I don't need you to know rule 602A. I just need you to know that here's what we're, here's what USA wants us calling from them. You know what I mean? Like the, the stuff that they sent out, like, here's what they want us to call us. Here's what they want called, whatever. Like, I, I think it would solve a lot of problems if coaches and even the parents um, were given some kind of rules education, not necessarily like the rule book, but more visuals of here's what uh, a check from behind looks like. This is what, you know, a two with two and 10 or a five and a game, like that kind of stuff. It would probably help, but then it would also flip but side then, to that. Now they think now they, they think they know the rules. Yeah. So there would be a two ten hit and they would be like, Oh, that's a five game. Yeah. But I don't know. I know it's a slippery slope, but I just I feel like there needs to be something done across the board by the governing bodies to educate the coaches players and parents and obviously keeping up with our education to get us all on the same page where we're not, I mean, there's always going to be abuse, but not to the extent that it is now. Mm-hmm. Like so we'll, we'll transition. Let's talk about our state tournaments. So to go along with the abuse on Friday night, last week, um, I only worked Friday for States. I had some other personal things going on the rest of the weekend. So I do two U14 AA games. We did them four-man, no issue, 14 AA's. It was fun. So then I have my only U18 AA. This is one of the most even games I've ever refereed. This is four-man. There's myself and Charlie O'Connor, who is a fellow ODP graduate, fellow ECHL he's a linesman he's worked almost 500 games in that league he's worked a couple at least 100 American League games um so we got it's pretty good solid crew refereeing we get off we the game ends it goes I think it was three to three goes overtime goes to shootout one nothing in the shootout so the penalties in the game are seven seven the game, the shots were pretty much even. We get off the ice, and what do we get told? We were the MVPs of the game. We won it for the other team. We didn't call it fairly. This, that, and the other thing. And I'm just like, on what what planet, what game are you guys watching here? Like, the I mean, abuse it, is unreal. At least you got to be MVP. For the first time <laughs> in my career. <laughs> you, got, you got first star? No, it's... It's, it's funny, though, because I have kind of the same story, but this one's a coach. So we're in overtime of the first game of the States for, like, the whole weekend. And we're in overtime. Kid holds 
Wait, you let the first game of states go to overtime? Yeah. You shouldn't yeah. have done that. You gotta oh, kick I know. It in. I was I was not happy. <laughs> but so we're in overtime and I let an obvious hold go. Like it was a hold, but I let it go because it it didn't overly affect play, but it kind of did. But I was like, okay, we're in overtime in the States. Like I'm not, I'm not putting a team down. So kid holds them. I'm, I'm telling him like, Hey, don't hold, don't hold, don't hold, let him go. So he lets him go. And then not two seconds later, he clamps back on grabbing the guy's stick out of his hands. So at this point, buddy has <coughs> other guy's stick in his hand. So I'm like, okay, like I have to call this penalty. So I put my arm up and the coach starts going bananas and I haven't even called the penalty yet. My arm's just in the air. So I blow my whistle. I assess the penalty. The kid gives the other kid a stick back that he stole because he was holding on to him whole way to the box. The coach is screaming at me now for anybody that doesn't know, my name's Brendan. Okay. I've seen this coach probably 10 times this year. He's not a big fan of me figured he would know my name. Well, he starts screaming Sebastian. So at the top of his lungs oh, wait, in this hold, arena. Hold on. He's calling you Sebastian? Calling me. Well, so at first. I mean, to be fair, I you could you could pull off Sebastian. No. no. <laughs> but so at first I was like, maybe it's the kid that's skating next to me who's Sebastian. So he's like, Sebastian, Sebastian. I, I look over at him and I'm like, who are you calling Sebastian? And he's pointing at me. And I'm like, okay, at this point, like he thinks I'm Sebastian. I'm like, I'm not. So I'm not going to go talk to him because a, you don't know my name. B you're yelling at me. Like, no, thank you. So I skate all the way down to the far corner. Puck drops, still screaming at me. Just, just MF and me, just the whole nine yards. And I was like, I don't want to put your team down. Don't want to put your team down. Don't want to bury you. Don't want to bury you. Well, what happens? Team scores on the power play goal. Nice. So he's still screaming at me, calling me Sebastian. And like, I'm, I look over at him and I was like, who are you calling Sebastian? And he's like, that's you. And I'm like, no, no, no. My name is Brandon. Yeah. And so then, so you see what I I said, Brandon. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I go and report the goal because I'm like, okay, like I'm going to forget the numbers. So I go report the goal. So I skate kind of right by their bench He's still screaming at me. So I just go and skate down in the, in the far corner. I'm just standing there waiting for him to leave. So he finally starts leaving and he obviously sees that I'm leaving runs around behind the glass to like catch up to me, to start yelling at me. Thankfully, one of my supervisors or one of our supervisors was down there and just kind of looked at him. And like this supervisor is like his nickname century Bob, because he called a hundred penalties in one game before. Um, this was back when like the whole new, like you couldn't hook, you couldn't hold standard came out. So we called a hundred penalties. So you're in the nickname century Bob. hard okay. robot guy, but really nice guy. But like, Oh, I'm sure don't mess with century Bob and century Bob just kind of looked at him and then he, sh- he shut up. But like, we get back in the room and Bob looked at me. He's like, who is he calling Sebastian? And I was like, I got, I got no, like no clue chief, like no clue, but he thought that was my name. And, like, it was just so funny because, like, a coach that I've seen probably 10 times this year, and, like, we've had disagreements because he does not like how my game's officiated for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to. That's fine. But, like, 
at least maybe check my name on the score sheet once or twice. Like it's on there. You could you can read it. Doesn't like how any any official's game is officiated. He's so one it's of not, at least it's not just me. The mo is always the same. It doesn't yeah. matter. At least it's not just me. That makes me feel a little bit better. Because at first I thought maybe it is me, but then I was like, I call obvious penalties and that's it. But Reese, how was your states? States went well for me. I spent the weekend lining. Lucky. Yeah, it was fun. Got to do a little tenue action. Uh, 14s, some 18s, a good time. Hey, you're talking to the referee of the state championship 10U game, by the way. Wow. And that's the end of the line for them because there's no 10U natties. No, no. So and you refereed to this point the biggest kid, the biggest game of those kids' lives. And let me tell you, it was the best game of my weekend, too. I was buzzing up and down the ice because you take two strides and you're caught up with the kids. But then they start going end to end. And my line changes were on point. <laughs> oh, I was looking good for that 10U championship game. So what you're saying is, is you were pulling a page out of Wes's book and saying the best part of your game is your line changes. I actually did get to say that because so I, I was running my line changes to, to the T and I had two coaches that have played high level hockey. like, they're both good coaches. So they know what they're doing. Like they know how a line change works. So I'm running it because I'm like, Hey, this is the state finals. Like make it look good for everybody. So I'm running my line change and he dumps one player late. And so I will buy it. And I was like, hey, that's your one. Like, I'll give you a one because it's Swartz. Like, I'm, I'm a nice guy. And then he does you it again. You shouldn't even be doing it. In, but anyway, that's, I, 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 that's beside the point. But so I do it again. He does it again. And so I send him back. And he gets his foot up on the dasher. He's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, the line changes are the best part of my game right now. Like, I need these to look good. Send those two guys back. So then – Fast forward to the third period, and he does it yet again. The only difference is at this point, my line change was on their offensive zone side. So I'm standing top of the circles, and I see this guy change his D stupid late. So I start I start hammering with so I'm skating over there. I'm like, nope, nope, they're back, they're back, they're back. I'm standing in front of his bench with my arm in the air. And I say, you see my arm in the air? My arm in the air means you can't change anymore. You know this. And so I get the right players on. I wheel out. And, like, I was just, like, inside I was just dying laughing because I was like, I just showed him up. Okay, Tommy Tryhard. Oh, I looked so good, though. (laughs) It looked so good. That's so funny. I love it. I had – that was honestly – I had so much fun that game just because, like, the kids lo- the the kids wanted to play obviously because it's the state game and like it was it was so much fun. I would Good. ten out of ten do it again next year. Ten out of ten, eh? Sweet. Except I I don't want to do it again next year because the eight a.m. start kind of sucks. Oh yeah, that's rough. Yeah, but that's rough. If you boys don't, oh, really quick. Oh no, you, we still got. I yeah, still got we some still more got to talk about. Here. I got to talk about this five thousand dollar goalie interference penalty. That we do. I forgot about that. Let's talk about it, Ross. So we have Carolina and Nashville. Um, Nito Niederreier, Nino Niederreier decided to be an idiot. Skate behind the net while Soros. Well, so Soros goes behind the net to play the puck. Niederreiter comes around the other side and just freaking 
it looked like Niederreiter's head hit uh, Soros's head, and I'm I'm watching it back because it was it was such a weird play. Great hit. Um, and okay, here's the reverse angle of it. Yeah, yep, yeah. So freaking just straight up head contact. Honestly, what's what's wild about watching that play is you, he the if the referee who called the penalty wanted to, he could have easily given a direct contact to the head, major penalty for it. And yeah. I think the problem though was unfortunately, had the referee been on the other side of the ice, I think that's what would have happened. But he had uh, Soros's back was to him, so he couldn't quite see where, where the contact, contact was him. made. But I tell you, if the referee's on the right angle there, that's a major game for that. I think in youth, no matter what, it's a major game. Yeah. Because it wasn't it wasn't pretty by any any no, it like was not. He didn't go for the puck or anything. He went. He saw a goalie and he's like, I hit goalie, which is weird because yep. he's not the type of player to do that either. No, he's not. So I thought maybe he thought he was going to get away with it. Well, he didn't. Uh, the low referee uh, definitely called it and supplemental discipline did its thing. So we got that there. Uh, another thing making the news today on TSN article called Canada's slow vaccine rollout could impact the NHL bottle bo- NHL's bottom line next season. Basically the, in summary, the article saying with the lack or lack of um, urgency that Canada's rolling out this vaccine, it's likely that the Canadian teams might not have fans in the stands to start the season next year. Yeah. I mean, um, we already talked about the Habs promoting Sean Burke. Yep. Great guy, by the way, he played for the lightning for a little while. And then speaking of the Tampa Bay lightning, Andre Vasilevsky, three shutouts in a row, most recently against the Dallas stars last night. I was going to say it helps that they're playing the stars though. Yes, it does. Cause so Vassy's on it. He's a damn good goaltender. I owe Jody price a case of beer next time I see her. Cause uh, it was funny when we were at instructor camp together, she was telling me, she's like, Vassy's the man. I'm like, nah, I'm a Ben Bishop guy. I don't think Vassy has what it's like. I, I just wasn't sold on Vassy and she was, and I've seen her since, but she definitely got that one. Right. Um, let's see. What else did I have? Oh, the sites for nationals. Yeah. So for, uh, for USA nationals, High school is in Omaha, Nebraska. Tier 1 14s and 15s are in Dallas. Tier 1 16s and 18s are in Maryland Heights, Missouri. Tier 2 14s, Dallas. Tier 2 16s, Grand Rapids. Tier 2 18s, Green Bay. Uh, Girls Tier 1 for 14, 16, and 19 is Westchester. I really want to know why girls do 19U and boys do 18U. Um, girls tier two, 14, 16s, and 19s is in Denver. And then adult men and adult women, Wesley Chapel, Florida. Is so that done by be, you? Yep. That'll be my, my nationals. I will probably mm-hmm. skate 
So we, I think we, so there used to be an over 18 national tournament and holy shit was that good hockey. So was it like juniors? No, it was. So the guys that would play in this would be like the best men's league players from their area, all guys that you used to play pro. So you were working a professional level hockey game. That's badass. And they stopped doing, I think 2005 was the last year they did that. Then they had it. Then they used to have an over 30 open, which is basically the same thing. And then now they have like an over 40 a division, which is really damn good too. So I, I almost want to go do men's national beer hey, league finals. You are more than welcome to come visit you too, Reese. If you guys want to come, let me know. I'll get it set up. Um, it's 15th through the 18th of April. Um, there's like over 40, over 50, over 60. There was an over 70 at one point. There's an over 60. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, I lost. Yeah. So it's, it's a good, you know, the men's nationals is just an excuse for the boys to come to Florida and have a few beers. Well, why else would they be in Florida? I mean, that's the best spot for them. Like, do you think they want to go to green Bay, Wisconsin? No, no, they want to come to Florida. Exactly. Let the kids go wherever. Yeah. Nice weather. What's up Reese. Especially when you're in the over 60, nobody wants to go. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. I, I just want to see that division, the over 60. All right. Let me see if I can find. Like, the... that would just be insane. Yeah, it's silly, dude. Um, but so on. really quick, while Ross is looking that up, I just want to talk about the, I guess, format of this podcast from this point forward. So, obviously, we introduced Cameron Choate and Reese as uh, new podcast hosts. Cameron told me yesterday that his job is getting restructured. It's it, it was complicated to me, and I'm not the smartest guy in the book, so I'm not even going to try and explain it. But anyway, he is going to be a lot more busy with his job. Which look, I understand it's a full that like that's his career. Like nobody's mad about that. So he is going to be on uh, really whenever he can. So if there's a free Wednesday, he can hop on. That's when we record. He will. If not, you won't necessarily see him on the podcast, but he'll still be doing a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. Um, Reese is also kind of in the same boat. I know he has a trip to Mexico next week, so he's going to get nice and sunburnt because he is pasty white. So he won't be here next week. What's that, Reese? I think we'll see about that. I've got a, I've got a plan. All oh, right. yeah? What's your plan? <laughs> You'll see. Oh, I'm excited for this. Ross, go ahead. So 2019 men's nationals was the last time it happened. There was an over 40, over 50, over 60, over 65, and then an over 70. Yep. Give me those games. I want the over 70. (laughs) I want it because it's just going to be some old men just beating the living shit out of each other, trying to win hockey games. And I'm so for it. I wonder Um, how much hooking and like holding goes on during those. All of it. Because like, that's what they grew up playing. Yeah, so you kind of let them play to the old school standard. Oh, I, I definitely would. So um, it'll be it'll be a fun weekend there. Sign me um, up. 
So I, I really think that's about it other than dropping uh, who our guest is next week. Oh, it's a big guest. So we have a huge guest for the podcast next week. Um, it's a gentleman that I worked for back when he took over the position that he is currently in. He refereed in the National Hockey League. Um, he's a USA hockey product. Uh, he, he's basically other than, um, Matt Leaf and Dave Labuda, he is the guy in USA hockey. And our guest next week is the manager of the officiating development program, Scott Zelkin. Yeah, I'm excited. So we have an interview lined up with Scott, uh, for next week. Any of our listeners who are in the 18 to 25 range that um, want to accelerate their career and make the jump to the next level, and that level being being a part of USA Hockey's officiating development program, you're going to want to listen next week. And as a guy that's in that program, you want to be in it because it's a blast. Yep. Um, we're going to talk, we're definitely going to talk a little about, you know, Scott's career as an official, but the episode is more going to be geared towards information about the ODP. Um, and this is something that we're going to do often. This isn't going to be a one and done interview with Scott. Um, we're definitely going to try to have him on once or well, probably about two times a season. And then especially uh, in the summer in the summer as well. So. With that, I think I'm done running my mouth for the day because I know I've done plenty of it. Oh, you know, one more thing that I wanted to talk about uh, that I just remembered. Did you did you guys see the um, the Bauer Willie O'Ree skates that um, some of the guys wore for to honor him and for Black History Month last month? Yeah, they looked cool. They were so freaking cool. What a fitting tribute to the guy that that broke the color barrier in hockey. Um, so that was really cool to see. And it's also going to be really cool to see when uh, the Bruins finally retire his, uh, his number. So I just, I just saw them come through my USA hockey feed. So it's like, Oh, I got to talk about those because they were really cool. So kudos to Bauer. And I think I was, I think it's a JT Brown. Um, yeah, there was a few NHLers that wore them too. Yep. Uh, Patrick Kane wore them. Um, Nick Felino had them on. I know a bunch of guys wore them, but, and a couple of guys had uh, some influence on helping design the skate. So mm-hmm. those were really cool. But I think with that, we're going to wrap up episode 88 of the Team Stripes <laughs> podcast. Uh, as always, see you guys next week. And Reese, have a good trip to Mexico. Thanks, boys. See you soon. You don't want to dial in from Mexico? <laughs> He's going to have a few too many margaritas, I think. That's fine. Just remember, uno mas cerveza, <laughs> por favor. That's all you need to know. <laughs> That's right. And where in Mexico are you going, bud? Uh, Playa del Carmen. Okay, Ooh. nice. Have fun, man. Have fun. All right. With that, we'll catch you guys later.